Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all for tuning in. My name is Abby. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. We usually do a topic on Mondays. So usually on Mondays, I will pick any topic that I feel like I don't know enough about, like faith, politics, uh, history focused, and I'll research it and present it to you guys. And then Thursdays is usually a Bible study day. Now, the schedule got a little bit weird because of New Year's and New Year's resolutions. I did a New Year's resolution podcast a few days ago. And so with that, I didn't do a Bible study one and I do not want to get more behind. So this Monday's episode is going to be a Bible study podcast, which I usually do only on Thursdays. So I've been reading the Bible in a year. Each Thursday, I go over a chunk of the scripture and summarize it and kind of say what I've learned about that chunk or what God is teaching me through that this week. So this week we are going over the book of Mark. Last week we went over the book of Matthew. Now they are very similar, but there are a few differences that I want to go over after we've gone through the uh, summary of Mark. So let's get right into it and get into into the Bible. Okay, so Mark starts out with talking about how John the Baptist prepared the way and how a prophecy said that there would be a messenger sent ahead to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. He was preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins and baptizing people with water. But he always said, like, I'm baptizing you with water, but he who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, an important distinction is Mark, and we'll go over this more, but Mark um, treated or viewed Jesus through this lens as more of a miracle worker. So, um, you don't see the whole like genealogy of Jesus, birth of Jesus, all of that. Whereas Matthew viewed, uh, Jesus as more of a teacher. And so it went over like a whole genealogy about why Jesus has the right to be like the king and why it was fulfilling all these prophecies. And, proving Jesus is who he says he is. For Mark, it more goes, it goes right into John the Baptist and then right into the baptism and testing of Jesus. So right after it talks about John the Baptist, it says that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, um, where a voice came out and said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Then Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. So after that, Jesus says that the kingdom of God has come near to repent and believe. And then he calls his first disciples. This part is very similar to what was seen in Matthew, where he's calling Simon and Andrew, who are brothers, who are fishermen. And then he calls James and John, who are also fishermen and brothers. It shows that Jesus drives out an impure spirit. So he went to Capernaum on the Sabbath and Jesus went to the synagogue to preach. The people were amazed by his teaching because... Whereas some people, like the teachers of the law, um, would preach without much authority, Jesus taught as though he had an authority to be saying these things, and he drove out an impure spirit out of a man, um, and the impure spirit, impure spirit said, we know who you are, basically, you are the Holy One of God. 
So again, even the demons know who Jesus is, but it is up to us to believe that he died on, on the cross for our sins. Um, okay, so then Jesus heals many. Again, Mark views Jesus more as a miracle worker, so he really goes more into detail with the miracles and the crowds that were gathered around him. So this is where Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever, and then she got up immediately, felt so good that she began to wait on them. And then said, many people brought the sick and demon-possessed, and Jesus healed many. Then it shows that Jesus prayed in a solitary place, um, and then goes to preach more. Once he is preaching more, he heals a man with leprosy. And he said, okay, don't show everyone that you're healed with lep of leprosy. Just go to your priest, show them that you are now healed. Um, but there were too many large crowds around so he went outside and stayed in lonely places like around the city um because he was just getting chased around by all these crowds but it says people still came to find him like he was so amazing and so popular basically well not popular isn't the right word because that seems superficial but he was so well known and all these rumors were going around about him healing so many people that cr masses just went out to go find him Okay, in Mark 2, Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. So, um, a ton of people came. Again, Mark emphasizes the crowd that Jesus was preaching to. And these people heard his message and knew that he could heal, that Jesus could heal the man. And so, they lowered him on a mat through, like, the roof. Like, there were these gaps in the, the roof. And um, Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And this man got up and walked. Now, the teachers of the law at this point thought that he was blaspheming because they said, like, who, who is he to say that people's sins are forgiven? Only God can heal sins. Okay, then Levi becomes a disciple. He's sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Jesus ate with a ton of tax collectors and sinners, which we went over in Matthew. A lot of these stories are pretty much exactly the same between Matthew and Mark, where Jesus said, is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Um, Jesus is then questioned about fasting. Why are you not fasting? And this is when he says that it's a time of celebration. The bridegroom does not fast, like basically on the wedding. Um, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Basically, this is the time to celebrate. He is here. You know, the Messiah is here. Then um, the whole story with Jesus and the disciples picking the heads of grain in a field. Um, this is that part of the story. The, um, what am I trying to say? The uh, teachers of the law came and they're always on his back and saying like, that is not of the Sabbath. You, you're not supposed to eat or you're not supposed to pick heads of wheat to eat because that's work. And God says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If you want more detail on any of these stories that are found in Mark, just go to my last podcast for the book of Matthew because all of these are in there and I went into a little bit more detail. Okay, then Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He heals a man with a shriveled hand and the teachers of the law are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so he was. they were looking to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, which he does. Crowds are following Jesus everywhere. They always want to like touch his cloak because they know that a lot of people will be healed by just touching his garments. And then 
um, impure spirits, when they were thrown out of people, would always cry out, you are the son of God. So again, even they know, and word is really spreading that he is the son of God. Okay, then Jesus appoints the 12 disciples. Um, he appointed the 12. It doesn't go into like, oh yeah, it does go into detail. That was later on in my notes. Um, the 12 disciples are James and John, who are brothers, Simon and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, who will eventually betray him. So he appoints them to go out, preach, and drive out demons. And then Jesus is accused, again, by his family and teachers of the law. Now it says, Jesus entered a house and a crowd gathered so big that they weren't even able to eat. No one was able to eat because it was so crowded. It said his family heard about, like, this whole thing, like how crazy it was, and said that he's out of his mind. Now, family in the NIV is, has a little note next to it, and it says that it could be translated as associates, so just people around him. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean his family just accused him, but I'll have to look more into that verse because I've heard different things. Like if it's his family, that doesn't really make a ton of sense. Associates makes more sense, but why they're saying he's out of his mind um, is a little bit more confusing. Maybe just so the crowd would go away because it was like overrun. Um, okay. The teachers of the law accuse him of being possessed by Beelzebul, Beelzebul, which is like the prince of demons. And this is where, again, like we talked about this in Matthew, but he says that a kingdom divided cannot stand and that the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, just committed the unforgivable sin, which is slandering the Holy Spirit. So saying that Jesus was demon possessed instead of God, I guess. Um, and then Jesus is told that his mother's, his mother and brothers are looking for him. And he said, who are my mother and brothers? Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And this one seems interesting to me because yes, like he's trying to make the point here that like family ties are not as important as being in the family of God, basically, like doing the, not even doing the right thing, but honoring God and being part of this family is more important than relationship, physical blood ties, which is definitely true. But it's interesting how, as I've been studying like Catholicism, how much Mary is honored, which I think to an extent is really good. Like we should honor her, but at the same time, like even Jesus said, you know, who are my mother and brothers? Like anyone in who honors or whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So it's interesting. I think we can't put the cart ahead of the horse and say like, I don't know. It's important to honor Mary, but I think sometimes it gets taken to the extent where it's made more important than the entire family of God if that makes sense. Um, in Mark 4, there are a bunch of parables that are told. Again, all of these are told in Matthew. So I'm just going to go over quickly like the titles of them. It's the parable of the sower, the lamp on a stand, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed, and how... Oh, and 
those are the four parables. And then it talks about how Jesus calms the storm. So he goes and walks across the, the water and calms, or wait, yeah, he calms the storm in front of the disciples and the disciples are really scared. But basically all those parables talk about how your heart needs to be, you know, fertile ground for the gospel to grow, how you shouldn't hide your faith and that your faith, even the tiniest little amount of faith can grow into this huge thing for the kingdom. In Mark 5, Jesus restores a demon-possessed man again. Um, the man had been in chains and even broke out of the chain sometimes. He would cut himself, and he was actually possessed with a bunch of demons. They called themselves a legion because it was a whole legion of them. And he took, or he sent out the demons from the, from the man and put them into a herd of pigs. And the man ran out and told all the people what Jesus had done in the miracle that he had performed. Uh, Jesus then raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. This is when the bleeding woman touched Jesus's uh, cloak when he was on his way to somewhere else. She knew that if she could just touch his cloak that she would be healed. And so she did that. And then he stopped and realized his, like some power had gone out of him and then said like who touched me obviously there's a huge crowd around him right now but she said i i touch you um and then she basically or and then jesus said to her that her faith had healed her while all this is happening word comes that there's no bother for there, like there's no reason for jesus to continue to the dead girl's house because instead of just being sick, the girl has already died. And Jesus says, like, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And everyone laughed and made fun of him and stuff. But then he raised her from the dead. In Mark 6, um, Jesus goes back to his hometown. And he does not get honor in his hometown because everyone says, who is this? Isn't this the carpenter that we've known, like, our whole lives? And it references Jesus's brothers and sisters. Now, some Catholics will argue that this means like, um, just close people that were close to him in his hometown, not necessarily blood, uh, blood siblings, because that would imply that Mary was not a virgin her entire life. I disagree. I haven't done enough research on like the individual word that describes brother and sisters but it makes it sound like jesus had brothers and sisters especially when someone was asking him like hey your mother and and brothers are here and he said who are they um and then again a reference to his brothers so i'll have to dive into like if like all of this stuff surrounding mary being um a lifelong virgin because that is definitely a core Catholic belief. And from the things that I read or from the translation I read, at least, um, it does not seem to be implied that she was always a virgin. Okay, Jesus sends out the 12. He sends out disciples two by two with pretty much nothing and said, like, just go to each town. They'll take care of you. If, if not, dust your feet up. Like, don't worry too much about the clothes you have on your back or anything like that. So the disciples preached and drove out demons and healed the sick. This is when John the Baptist is beheaded. So again, in the Matthew episode, we kind of went over this, but I didn't really clarify. So I'm just going to go over this again. 
Herod, um, this was during Herod's rule, and his wife, okay, wait, let's see. John the Baptist told Herod that it was not right to be with his brother's wife. And so Herod didn't like that, and neither did his wife. However, Herod, in Matthew, in the Matthew episode, I kind of implied that, like, Herod wanted John the Baptist dead, and so I was a little confused why, like, he had to be tricked into asking for John the Baptist's head. What I realized as I was reading Mark is that Herod was just afraid of John the Baptist or, like, afraid of the reaction if he was dead. He thought that um, John had this, like, special power or whatever, so he feared him more than hated him. He just feared John the Baptist, so he wanted him to be protected because of this fear. Now, his wife didn't fear him. She just hated him for saying that, like, this, their living situation was wrong, and so that's why she ended up tricking Herod um, into getting John the Baptist beheaded. Okay, and then the last part of Mark 6 is Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the just few fish and loaves of bread, and then Jesus walks on water. So this is actually where he walks across the water to his disciples. Um, his disciples were in a boat struggling with the wind, and Jesus walked on water to get them and got in the boat, and everyone who touched his cloak was healed as he went back through the towns after the whole water incident. Now, I think a couple chapters ago, I mentioned that he had walked on water. That was not the time he walked on water. He just calmed a storm. Um, he wasn't actually on the water yet. So this is the walking on water in Mark 6. Okay, Mark 7 talks about that which defiles. So the disciples and Jesus were eating with unwashed hands and the Pharisees were trying to call him out on this, like you're defiling yourself. And Jesus, this is what he said. I think this is so great. It says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So he's saying the, tr the commandment is honor your father and mother. But if something is to be used for God, then you're not allowed to do anything for your father and mother. Therefore, they're putting their own traditions over the commands of God. So, he said that it is what comes out of a person that defiles them, not what you put, not what someone puts into them, like not what they eat. So with that, Jesus declares all foods clean. Now, I hear about this all the time. We've talked about it with the Old Testament stuff, but um so many people when they talk about like Christian rules and stuff and it I feel like it happens most of the time when people talk about homosexuality they say oh well if we were following all the rules in the Old Testament because homosexuality is mentioned in the Old Testament they say if we were following every rule in the Old Testament still then you wouldn't be able to wear linen and wool mixed or you wouldn't be able to wear anything of two different fabrics or you wouldn't be able to eat lobster. That's like always the argument. I was just listening to Joe Rogan the other day. He just made that argument. And it like, now that I've read the Bible more and I kind of see 
how this shakes out, it is kind of frustrating because it's like, yeah, not every rule is thrown out the window with the New Testament, which is sometimes how I think Christians think. But then people who aren't Christians at all are like, why aren't you holding to these rules that I've heard about in the Old Testament? But if you actually read the whole book, you would realize that some of these rules have been nullified now. Like it is not what comes it's not what you put in your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of your body, out of your mouth. Like, so make sure that your mouth is blessing people. Okay. So now you can eat lobster. Like that is no longer an argument. The two linens thing was because that specific attire was reserved for the priests, the Levites in the Old Testament. So that was all under the law. Now that that like now that the law is not here or that the law has been fulfilled, that does not really apply to us anymore because there's no priests, like priests that are doing that. So anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but that is just like one of those things where it's like, this is the explicit time when he overturns the food laws. So we no longer have to eat kosher, if you will. Okay. Then Jesus honors a woman's faith. The woman was Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia and begged Jesus to drive a demon out of her daughter. And, you know, she humbled herself by saying that, like, even dogs get the crumbs or the scraps. So basically, like, even your crumbs will heal my daughter. And she had great faith. And Jesus honors her and heals her daughter. Then Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and was brought a man who was deaf and pretty much mute. He put uh, his fingers into the man's ears and spit and touched the man's tongue and said, be opened, and he was healed. Okay, Mark 8. Jesus feeds the 4,000. Again, there's like two feeding miracles, which I always kind of lump them together in my mind, but there are indeed two. One is with 5,000, one is with 4,000. Um, then he tells his disciples to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, but his disciples do not understand at all. Um, and they think he's talking about bread and whatever, but he's, he's talking about like this corrupt teaching of the law by the Pharisees. Jesus again spits on a different man's eyes and he does it twice and they were opened Peter declares that Jesus is then the Messiah. So he asks, like, who am I? He says that he's the Messiah. And then, like we discussed in Matthew, right after that, Peter says, like, this will never happen once Jesus predicts his death. And Jesus immediately says, get behind me, Satan. So he says, you are the rock on which I will build my church. And then minutes later says, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus says that the way of the cross is that you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me every day. So this is the idea commonly held now that we are to take up our daily cross and follow him. Um, and then this famous verse that I love, it says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So love that. Okay. Mark nine talks about how Jesus was transfigured on the Mount. We go over that more in Matthew as well. Jesus heals a boy who was possessed by an impure spirit. The disciples could not drive the demon out, but Jesus was able to, and they asked why. And Jesus said that this demon only came out with, like, by prayer. 
which I guess still doesn't really answer why the demons couldn't, but I think they were just used to casting him out, like, in the name of Jesus, but not with prayer. So I guess that just means he's teaching them more. Um, Jesus predicts his death a second time and talks about this principle of anyone who wants to be first in the kingdom must be last. Anyone who wants to be the best must become a servant, that kind of thing. And then the disciples came to Jesus and said like, hey, someone else is driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because he's not one of us. And Jesus says, whoever is not against us is for us. Like, don't stop someone from driving out demons in my name. We are all together on this. Like, anyone who's driving out demons is on our side. And then this uh, goes on to talk about how these children were coming up to Jesus. And it says to not cause one of these children to stumble. So, like, um, yeah, don't cause one of these children to stumble. He says... He talks about being the salt of the earth and if you lose your salt or saltiness how can you be made salty again um it says have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other so the church of the lord is supposed to be like what's it called not riling each other up but stirring each other up in good works and good deeds and reading the bible and being in the word knowing god more and being at peace with each other Mark 10 talks about divorce and how Moses permitted divorce, even though it wasn't the original design, but it's not, it's not right. Divorce is not right. Um, then the disciples were rebuking people who brought little children to him and Jesus said, no, let the children come to me, which you would have thought that they would have picked up on when he said, whoever, you know, he was around kids and then he said, whoever causes one of these to stumble, like tie a millstone around their neck you know, he's not like anti-children. So he basically said to let them come to him. Uh, then he talks about the rich in the kingdom of God. Like someone came and wanted to follow Jesus, but then he said, okay, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then follow me. And the man was so downcast because he had so much money that he felt like he couldn't do that. And said, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus then predicts his death a third time, and then James and John, this was kind of interesting, and I don't remember this in Matthew, James and John came up and said that they wanted to sit at the right and left of Jesus in glory, and Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking, whoever must be great must become a servant. So some of his disciples are looking to be like the top, like the cream of the crop in the next life and sit with him in glory, because this concept of like, the first are last and the last are first and the whole Sermon on the Mount, like turn the other cheek, all of those concepts that Jesus is teaching is so new at this time that they're like, I want to be to the top. Like, let's go ask Jesus if we can sit at the right and left of, of him in glory one day. And he's like, listen, you got to be a servant first. You don't, you don't know what you're asking. Okay, Mark 11, uh, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. This is the whole story where they go in, find a cult, bring out the cold, have Jesus ride in to the city and everyone has like the the palm leaves to lay down for him. And this is the first Palm Sunday. Then Jesus curses a fig tree and clears the temple courts. And then the authority of Jesus is questioned. They say, with what authority, authority are you teaching these things? And he says, hey, let me ask you a question in return. Was the baptism of 
John the Baptist of human origin or of heaven origin, which is a catch-22 again, because if he says human origin, um, that means that John the Baptist is like a fraud and that could make everyone really upset. But if it's a heaven origin, then why aren't you believing it basically? So, um, so he kind of outplayed him at their own game. Okay, Mark 12 goes over the parable of the tenants, which is a man brought bought a vineyard and sent servants to collect money at the harvest time. Well, they seized that man and beat him, so he sent another one, they killed him, another one, they also killed him. Then he sent his son, and they said, surely they'll respect his son, but they killed him too. He said the owner will come back and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Um, so he's talking about the Pharisees here, how they're not, like giving any respect to the son of God, which is Jesus. And um, the priests and the Pharisees knew that they were talking about him in this parable. So they were trying to find a way to arrest him. Uh, Jesus then pays the imperial tax. So it's like the, are you swayed by others? Um, You know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Then Jesus um, was talking about the marriage at the resurrection. So again, same story as in Matthew, but someone came up and said, if um, if someone's married and their wife dies and so they marry someone else and that wife dies, marry someone else, who are they married to at the resurrection? And there is no marriage, like marriage isn't relevant at the resurrection. He talks about how the greatest love or the greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbors. And then um, people say the Messiah is the son of David, but how can David call his son the Lord? So people were saying that the Messiah was David's son. And Jesus said, well, that couldn't be because he calls um, his son. Like, how could he call his son Lord? Okay. um, Warning against the... Okay, so Jesus gives a warning to the teachers of the law, and then there's a widow's offering. So there was a widow who was poor who only put a couple cents in the offering, like basket, I guess. And so many, like some other people put a ton of money in. But Jesus points out this widow's offering as so much more valuable because she basically put in everything she had into this offering. So even though it was less, she gave out of complete poverty. So it was like worth more. Mark 13, Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times, which is that many will come in his name. Uh, You'll be brought to trial, but the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. So he's already preparing the disciples for like, when this happens, you will be taken and put on trial and put in courts and stuff like that. People will hate you because of uh, Jesus. And he says to beware of false messiahs. He also says the day and the hour of the second coming is unknown and only the father knows. Okay, Mark 14, Jesus is anointed at Bethany. A woman um, anoints him with an expensive jar of oil and the disciples like chastise her because that could have been used as a good donation to feed the poor. But Jesus said, she's done a, a beautiful thing by anointing me. That and basically, And that she was anointing him for burial. Okay, then they go to the Last Supper. So this was a Passover feast in the home of someone. And 
you know, Jesus sent the disciples ahead to someone's house, said, you'll find an upstairs room prepared for this Passover feast. And they did. Everything happened just as he said. And Jesus says that someone will betray uh, Jesus and said, it's the one with the with his hand in the bowl or whatever. It's very similar to Matthew, but it doesn't actually call out Judas by name in this one. It just says the one with the hand in the bowl. So it sounds like the disciples in this one know that it's going to be Judas because everyone could just see that he was the one that had his hand in the bowl, but it doesn't tell the reader that it's Judas. And then Jesus predicts Peter's denial and said, before the rooster crows twice, he will deny me three times. Then we see him in Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and the disciples keep falling asleep. This is where Jesus keeps saying like, not my will, but yours be done. If this cup, you know, I, he's basically saying like, I really don't want to do this, but if you, if it's your will, then I will do this. So Judas comes, he has betrayed, um, he has betrayed Jesus just as predicted. This one doesn't go into a backstory of how he paid the 30 pieces of silver and stuff. It just says that Judas comes and arrests him. Lots of people ended up testifying against Jesus, but none of their stories agreed. Like they would all conflict with each other in certain ways. They were just trying to find anything that could convict him. And to all these accusations, Jesus just gave no answer. Um, they condemned him worthy of death and the guards beat and made fun of him. And then as the, you know, as predicted, Peter disowns Jesus three times and he heard the crow, the rooster crow, and he started breaking down weeping because he knew that it had come true. And remember, Peter is the one on which he's going to build the church. So even like literally the strongest Christians, the strongest people still sometimes do not do the right thing at all. So... (laughs) Um, Okay, Mark 15, Jesus comes before Pilate. Again, it's customary to release a prisoner, but everyone wanted to release uh, Barabbas instead of Jesus, even though Barabbas was like a murderer. The soldiers mock Jesus, and then they crucify him. They're heckling him, and they put a sign above his head that said, King of the Jews. Okay, once Jesus died, the temple cloth was torn in two, and there was like a big earthquake and stuff. This one does not me- mention the resurrection of other people. In Matthew, it says that he died. The temple cloth was ripped in two. There was an earthquake. And then some people came out of their tombs and they had been risen from the dead. This one does not mention that, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and then they talk about the burial of Jesus. They put him in a tomb with a big stone in front of it. And then we wrap this up with Mark 16. Jesus has risen. Mary Magdalene and Mary, like, and the other Mary. No, let's see. Wait. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome bring spices so they might anoint Jesus's body. This was on the third day. So once they got there, the stone had been rolled away. An angel was there saying Jesus had risen. And then Jesus appeared to them. Um... But, like, the whole Jesus appearing to Mary and on that we talk about in Matthew wasn't originally in the first transcripts of Mark. So, I think I'm just going to leave it there because the rest of it we kind of also went over in Matthew where he, like, appears to Mary and he appears to the disciples. But that wasn't originally in the first Mark manuscripts. So, 
that is the book of Mark, but I do want to read this thing really quick about how Mark and Matthew are different because again, I mentioned some about like how they view him differently, but this was just a good way I think to sum it up. So, this is what the Odyssey online t- says. It says um the way that each of them view Jesus is different. Mark views Jesus as a miracle worker while Matthew views him as a teacher. Mark and Matthew each used a different term to refer to Jesus. One would also be able to see, uh, okay, wait, that one's, one would also be able to see why these gospels should be considered the same. Mark and Matthew each essentially contain the same stories and have the same events. Okay. Mark sees Jesus as a miracle worker while Matthew considers him to be a teacher. From Mark 1, 1 to 8, 29, there was a focus on the ministry of Jesus while he was an adult. There was a significant point that Jesus was a miracle worker that attracts big crowds. For example, in Mark 2.11, Jesus told a paralyzed man to stand up and go home. After this, the man stood up and walked. Everybody was amazed at what Jesus had done to this man. This is an example of Jesus being portrayed as a miracle worker. Switching over to Matthew, there is a sense of Jesus being a teacher in the text. His teaching includes five discourses. These discourses include Sermon on the Mount, the Missionary Discourse, the Parabolic Discourse, the Discourse on the Church, and the Discourse on End Times. These are all mentioned in Mark, but in less detail compared to Matthew. Matthew portrays Jesus as a more as more of a teacher than a miracle worker. Uh, another difference is Matthew is, includes the life of Jesus as an infant. So that is the difference about the miracle teacher thing. It's just some of the events are in less detail. And again, Mark focuses on like how big the crowds were and how many miracles he was performing and things like that. So that is the story of Mark. Very good book. I actually really, really love the Gospels. So it was interesting to read it from this little slightly different perspective. So I hope you enjoyed that. I will be back on Thursday with another uh, Bible podcast since that is our usual Thursday episode and it'll be the book of Luke. So be looking forward to that. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you have a great week. Bye, everyone.